You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 139. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening, especially today. Today's episode is sponsored by HomeChef.com. To try out Home Chef's meal prep delivery service and get a free meal for two with your first purchase, go over to homechef.com backslash lively and enter the code lively at checkout. At the end of this episode, I'll be speaking with Katie Walsh about her experience with homechef.com. Now let's move on to today's episode. Today we're speaking with Dana Schultz of minimalistbaker.com. Many people may remember Dana from season one or may know her from her very popular food blog, Minimalist Baker, which specializes in plant-based, vegan, and mostly gluten-free recipes that I personally use more than any other resource when in the off chance I actually happen to be cooking for myself. Her recipes are incredible. It's so easy, simple, and healthy. I highly recommend checking it out if you haven't already. In this episode, though, as Dana comes back on the show, we're not talking about food. Today, we're talking about a health issue that's been going on for Dana behind the scenes over the last year or year and a half that has caused her to lose about 50% of her hair. Dana was surprised at how much this hair loss has really affected her own self-confidence and identity and has largely kept it private between just her and close family and friends up until sharing here on the show. But this is a really amazing subject because I think this is something that many of us can relate to. Maybe we're not losing our hair, but maybe we've gone through some other kind of physical appearance or personal identity thing that we didn't think would affect us as much as it actually has. Maybe we've gained or lost weight, gone through a pregnancy and our body shifted, or even just the aging process in general can bring up so much for ourselves that we don't expect to affect us as much as it actually does. So Dana's going to be very vulnerable and share what that's been like for her as the hair has been falling out. And also we're going to talk about what she's done to tap into her own intuition when it comes to sharing this information and what her story has been like with people here on the show, which is going to be perfect for anyone that's heard me go on and on and on about the intuition on the show, but hasn't yet felt that they really are ready to give this a shot to tap into their own intuition. Hopefully Dana's experience and even her skepticism initially will be really encouraging and maybe make a few more people inclined to check in with their own intuition and at least give it a shot. In addition, we're also going to be discussing her new cookbook and the unusual publishing path that she's gone through in order to make this a reality. Let's go to the show. Dana, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thanks for having me back. It's an honor. For those who want to hear your background, you can go back to Dana's first episode, which you can listen to at JessLively.com slash Dana Schultz. But quickly, where have you gone from that last episode last year in season one to where you are today? What's happened since then? Let's see. I feel like some big things have happened, which we'll get into, but also just like life change things. When I first talked to you, we were living in Kansas City, and we're from Kansas, and we had lived in Oregon before, and we missed it a lot, and so we ended up moving back to Portland, Oregon. It was in 2014, and we've just kept going with our business. We've released a couple more products, both digitally, and then we have a print cookbook coming out, 
And we've done traveling and lots of other fun things. But for the most part, you know, nothing huge, like no kids, no... No new pets. No new pets. I have some succulents. John says those are our our kids, so we don't need kids. (laughs) I like that. Pretty low maintenance. Very minimalist. (laughs) Very minimalist to the max, yeah. So we have already actually recorded this. So for people that are listening, we'll come into why we've recorded later when we talk about the intuition. But... Last year, you shared that 2015 kicked your butt. And I know that you've just glossed over that part that is what kicked your butt. So let's go into that. Would you mind sharing what you've been going through that hasn't been visible on the blog? Sure. The short answer is I've been dealing with some health issues. And the main thing or the main result of the health issues has been hair loss. And that's been going on for about a year and a half now. Yeah, it's not something I've talked about on the blog because we don't talk about a lot of personal things on the blog, but it feels nice to talk about it (laughs) with other people so they know what's going on. Yes. And so when that started to happen, was that just out of the blue or are there other things going on in your life that may have contributed to that? Yeah, at the end of 2014 or like mid-2014, late and later that year, three major things happened. The first one was that John had some pretty serious health issues that resulted in him having to have a pretty major surgery. And as you can imagine, anytime you have a close family member or a spouse go through something like that, it puts an an immense amount of stress on your relationship and on your body. And around that same time, I made the very unwise decision to also make some drastic personal health decisions. One was changing my diet pretty drastically. I decided to go entirely vegan at that time. And then I also got off of my birth control just to kind of, not because we were trying to have kids, but just because I didn't want to be on it anymore. And so I definitely want to iterate that I'm not saying any one of these things alone caused hair loss. I think in my personal circumstance, it was a combination of all three things. It was just like walking in front of a truck like my body just got mowed over and basically I started having hair loss later that year I would say like in October November not too long after I got off my prescription and changed my diet and then John was still kind of recovering from everything so but it's been going on ever since then so it's kind of still something that I'm dealing with It's interesting that you mentioned that you're like, I don't advise people to do anything major all at once when other major things are happening. I've done that myself, actually, thinking back to when I got married and then moved into the new place we're going to live in together and decided to stop my birth control prescription or change it, actually, to something different. And that set into a huge spiral of issues that it was so hard to differentiate, like, was the move and all the change making me so upset or was it the prescription? It gets very tricky when you make big changes all at once in different areas of your life. Agreed. And it also gets confusing on the other end of the spectrum when you try and change things to make it better. If you change maybe like two or three things, you don't know which one of those things made it better. So now you are then afraid to stop those other things because you think, well, if I stop one of those things, then it might start happening again. Your health is so fragile and it, an issue like hair loss is very complicated and complex. So let's go into the hair loss specifically. How did you initially feel about it? And what were the stages of processing personally? Because this was pretty significant for you. The beginning stages of it were that I just started noticing it coming out more in the shower or when I was brushing my hair or when I was working because I had hair down to about my like bicep. Like it was 
pretty long, like down the middle of my back or something. And so I would be working and then I would notice like, oh, there's like hairs falling down on my pants or on my arms. And it just kind of started to register like this isn't normal. And obviously something's going on. And I quickly chalked it up to my birth control because I had heard from several friends who had had kids that when you have a baby, sometimes you lose your hair because your body is going through an immense change hormonally. And that's one of the ways that it kind of adjusts to the change. And so, of course, I did research immediately. And although it was scary, I thought, well, this is something, according to what I found, that is temporary. It should only last a few months and then it should stop. And so that was kind of the first phase of dealing with it was I was concerned, but I was not convinced or at all worried that it was going to be a long-term issue. And then what happened? It kept being an issue. (laughs) Unfortunately, we decided to move back to Portland. And when we got here, it had been going on for a few months. And I thought, okay, now is around the time, but it's going to slow down. And it didn't slow down. And I started getting more and more concerned internally, just kind of worrying about it myself and not talking about it with anyone. I just remember one day, like John and I were getting ready, like we normally do for work. And I had just taken a shower and I felt like a lot of my hair had come out in the shower and he was being his normal, like jokey self. And I just couldn't joke around with him because I was so self-conscious and sad and worried about this thing. And I just told him, like, I broke down crying, like, I'm not having a good day. I'm not good with this. This is still happening. And I don't know what to do about it. Basically, we talked it through and I, of course, made an appointment, you know, almost the same day to go see a doctor. And that's kind of when all of the multiple, multiple doctor appointments began and all the blood work and all of the kind of cross-referencing and going back and trying to figure out what exactly the cause was and what the solution could be. And what was the emotional ride after that point? Was that the moment that you just kind of couldn't rationalize it anymore and it just was emotionally an issue? I would say probably early 2015 is when it started becoming an emotional toll where I started noticing that if I was losing a lot of hair that day, I was not going to have a good day. And I would sit there or not sit there. I would be doing my things. I would be working and I would be interacting with John and with friends. But in the back of my mind, my mind was always running, just thinking like, what could it be? How could I fix this? What if I go bald? What if this never stops? I'm never going to feel pretty again. And (laughs) all of these things that you start thinking, and and I am am not and was not trained to know how to turn those off or to know how to deal with that emotionally. And so that's kind of when the emotional stress and all the self-conscious issues started kind of coming into the picture. How did they present for you? It was essentially just not feeling like myself. Like I would look in the mirror and I felt like I didn't look like myself and therefore I wasn't confident and therefore I did not want to go out and talk to people. Like I kind of for the first time just felt like just staying at home and I didn't want to go out and make new friends. I just wanted to focus on work and focus on my marriage and I didn't want to go out and do anything. And it just made me a very self-aware and self-conscious person because I think for a long time I relied on the praise of other people and I felt like if I wasn't going to get that praise then I didn't want to go out and be in the world like I wanted to be just at home alone until I fixed this thing that was going on. 
I think what you're sharing is something that so many people can relate to, not just from hair loss specifically, but for people that have had children and their bodies have changed, or maybe they're aging in a way they didn't expect, or they've gained or lost weight. And that inclination to want to hide or remove ourselves from the people we love so that we can fix it and then come back sometimes takes us from the help and the encouragement and connection that might actually help us. Did that happen for you? Yeah. I really have not shared this with many people because it's not a fun thing to share. Like it's not a fun thing to like meet a friend for coffee. Hey, how was your week? Oh, I'm doing terrible. I'm depressed and my hair's falling out. There's not a fun way to say that. And so I just kind of kept it to myself. I would talk with John about it quite a bit. And then I have like one or two really close friends here that I would talk about it with because I was around them all the time and they obviously like could tell I was stressed or they could tell that I was not quite myself. And it was important for me to be open with those people. But yeah, for the most part, I just tried to make everything appear like I was doing fine. And so I think people who know me kind of on the fringes would be surprised to know that I was dealing with this last year because I didn't even really, you know, I didn't tell that many people. It just didn't seem like the natural inclination to open up to people about it. Looking back on it, are you glad that you kept it private or do you wish you shared a little bit more? Oh, I think early on, I was not ready to share with anyone. I think it's been really healing for me to start sharing with more people. I think in the last maybe even, you know, three to four months, I've opened up to more people about it. And those kind of conversations come about like with New Year's, like, hey, how is your year? What are you reflecting on? What are you hoping for next year? And I think I was just really honest with some of my friends and saying like, this year kind of kicked my butt and it really challenged me emotionally and it made me question my identity and where I draw my confidence from. And it felt nice to get that out. So they knew what I was going through and then they could ask like how I was doing. Like the next time I saw them, I didn't have to build up the courage to make some, you know, grand announcement about how I was feeling that day. They were nice to check in with me. That's actually a really interesting point. I have a friend who's going through issues trying to get pregnant and she prefers to not have me ask her questions about it, but to allow her to share when she's ready. So I think that's an interesting thing for anyone that's going through something like this, to communicate to your friends or family how you would like them to support you. And maybe that is checking in. Like you said, it's nice that they're checking in for you. Or maybe for other people, it might be nice to say, this is what I'm going through. And as I'm able and feeling comfortable to share, I'll let you know the updates as I go so that they're not feeling that they're constantly being asked questions when they're not comfortable going into that in more detail on a regular basis. Yeah, that's a great point. I would say I really appreciated when people asked me about it. But for some people, that just may bring up so many emotions on any given day. And maybe you don't want that. You just kind of want to keep going on the path moving forward and being hopeful and not like focus on like, how was your week last week? Like, well, it was rough and I don't want to talk about it. So that's a good point. So has anyone actually noticed the hair loss and how much hair would you say overall you've lost? Because I think that that might be a question people that are listening have in their minds. Sure. I think that people are very nice and they say that, oh, I can't tell. I haven't noticed. But I can definitely notice. And I would say that I've probably lost 50% of my hair because um, it was never, I never had super thick hair, but my hair has always been fine. But I have a lot of hair. Like my hairdressers or have told me in the past, yeah, you have kind of fine hair, but you have a lot of it. 
And I always used to like to wear it long, but it just kind of got to the point where it didn't look good long anymore because it was so thin and I couldn't really do anything with it. And so I kind of have found ways to cut it short and style it different ways so that I add volume and you can't really tell that it's a lot thinner. How do you feel with the new haircut? It's okay. I would say I would still prefer it. I'm kind of like a hippie. I don't like doing my hair. I like getting out of the shower, letting it air dry and putting it in a braid. If I was in my ideal world, that's what my life would be, which sounds very silly. Like what's it matter if you have to blow dry your hair or not? But now that my hair's short, unless I blow dry it, it just gets these like little ringlets in it because I have all these baby hairs. I can't just throw it up in a top bun anymore. Like I have to kind of think about it and I have to wash it more often because it's not as thick. And so when I go to the gym and I sweat or when, you know, I sleep on it weird, it just doesn't bounce back like my hair used to do. And so I feel okay when I get all done up. But if I'm being honest, I don't like it short. Like I think I personally look better with longer hair. So I've missed it quite a bit. Yeah. How's your identity? Knowing this is something that was previously important or more important than you thought it was. Did you know it was this important to you before? If, if I had told you you were going to be this upset if this happened before it happened, would you have predicted that would be the outcome? No way. I feel like I was almost cavalier in my view of aging. I would look at people who maybe were getting surgeries or like work done or they were, you know, really self-conscious about the way they were aging. And I would say, oh, I'm just going to age like... I'm just going to let it come and like whatever happens happens and you know I'll embrace the gray hair and I'll that's so much better and healthy to approach aging that way and life changes and when it happened it literally just really threw me for a loop and like I've told John like I don't feel attractive anymore or I don't feel like myself and it has affected me on a confidence level on an emotional level so much more than I ever thought it would can totally relate to that idea of it's kind of if you feel like you're at a certain place and if you feel like that whatever that place is in your mind of your identity and when that changes that can be so hard to process and like you said so much harder than you think it would be yeah it's something so seemingly minor for instance if you have clear skin and then all of a sudden you get acne or maybe something not physical, like you have this secure job and then all of a sudden you lose that job. It's like, who am I? Like, I don't know how to function in this new circumstance. I don't know who I am in this new reality. And I didn't really handle it well. I just kind of felt like I was fumbling around, like I was breaking down crying, like once every two weeks, like, when is this going to stop? I just want it to stop. Like I was so fixated on the solution that I was not willing to accept my current circumstance. Where are you at with it now? I'm in a better place with it now. It's been really helpful to talk with people. And of course, I've wrestled with a lot of just internal frustration and dialogue with myself. Like, why is this so important to you? And why is this such a big deal? When I have so many other good things in my life going on, like my life is so rich and I'm so well provided for and I'm in a safe, loving relationship and you know all these things. And it's like, some of your hair fell out, like deal with it. Like it's not that big of a deal, but it's just been way more challenging than I anticipated. I would say now I'm in the accepting reality phase. I was in the rejection phase last year and I'm in a place of grappling with acceptance and kind of stretching toward acceptance 
And I've been kind of trying to incorporate more mindfulness practices. Um, so I'm watching my thoughts, not necessarily control my thoughts, but just monitor them so I don't spiral back into that absolute rejection and denial. And like my life can't go on until this is fixed phase. What are you doing specifically to make sure you don't spiral back into that? I think letting more people know where I'm at has been good. But I think really for me personally, it has to come from me. Like it has to come from my ability to calm myself, be thankful for everything I have today. Even though it felt weird at first, I would kind of say something like I would write in my journal or I would pray, I'm thankful for every hair on my head and every hair on my head that I did have. And that kind of helps me to realize I still have a lot to be thankful for. It's just that it's not what I thought it would be like. It's different. I don't maybe have like the same appearance that I used to, but I still have so, so much to be thankful for. Being more mindful in terms of gratitude. And then I've been trying to incorporate meditation also in the mornings because I am kind of a busy body. And once my day starts off in a spiral of, oh crap, my hair's falling out. I don't feel like myself. And then I'm like having a bad day. So if I start my mornings out with mindfulness and meditation, it sets my mind out to be more calm and stable and peaceful throughout the day so I can accept what's going to happen throughout the day. Yeah. As I shared on my episode recently about meditation apps, I feel like for me, the meditation, doing it in the morning, you don't necessarily say, I had a 10 times better day because I meditated. It's really when you stop doing it (laughs) kind of for a few days that you really notice that your thoughts are actually daily that much better only by seeing the absence of having it. Have you found that to be true for you? Do you notice it more when you don't meditate than when you do the difference? I do. And I haven't been doing it nearly as long as you have. This is a fairly new practice for me, but I would say I tend to react to my day when I don't start it with something like meditation or reading or prayer. Like if I pick up my phone and I start ingesting social media and then I'm, you know, becoming aware of like the day's circumstances or a problem arises and then I'm putting out fires, like my day just gets more and more hectic and out of control. And I feel like when I start it in a more peaceful, serene way, I approach things more in a more peaceful and serene way. Um, Even if I do have, you know, things that come up that are stressful, I just tend to handle them better. Actually, as you were saying that, and I imagined you picking up your phone and looking at Instagram, because that is something that I know I too, if I make that choice versus the meditation, it is a very different day. The rest of the day is a chain reaction. And maybe it's because we're focusing our attention from the beginning on external expectations of others, because we're looking at what the responses have been or what people have shared or what they're sharing on their feeds, instead of reflecting in and tapping into our intuition first. So then our attention is outwardly driven the rest of the 24 hours, or we're primed to focus on that versus focusing within and guiding ourselves from that core peaceful truth within us. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm still figuring out what that means for me, turning inward and trying to connect with myself. Meditation is not easy, but I think the more I do it, the the better I'm able to approach my day in a very stable and peaceful way, which feels so much better than the opposite. And for anyone else that might be struggling with that, for me personally, I've been doing this now, I think for a few years and very consistently, I would say at least for the last year, it probably took me six to 12 months to get consistent at it, like very, very consistent at it. And I'll say I don't even have any expectations on the fact 
of what that meditation experience will be like. Like I'm not at all thinking I'm going to have very many moments that aren't going to be thinking. For me, it's just watching the thoughts and getting very, very good at understanding that voice and detaching myself from it so I can see when it's happening and not be so in its clutches, like so attached to the thoughts to be able to detach from them. So I don't really care how many thoughts come and go during the 10-minute meditation. I just want to focus on the detachment from them so I can watch them, and then I'll be better throughout the rest of the 24 hours of my day to watch them then, and then I have the choice of whether to follow them much more than I would otherwise. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I would say too, for me, meditating has been, it's almost, it's, I wouldn't say it's an out of body experience because I'm not that enlightened, (laughs) but I would say that when I'm meditating, it's almost like I'm taking a step back and I'm watching what my mind is thinking about. And those are the things that are probably most stressful or at the top of my mind that day. And I think starting my day that way and just checking in with what, you know, my body is like tensing up about or what my mind is directing its attention to allows me to then either take those thoughts and those worries and pray about them or to journal about them and just kind of sort through like, why am I thinking about this? Why am I stressing out about this? Because oftentimes they are very trivial or there's something that actually do need my attention and they need to be handled in a more direct manner than just worrying about them all day. So the meditation is like your scanning system. And then once you've scanned, then you go and inquire within. Okay. So that leads to me to a very exciting subject. I think you're the first guest on the show that has done the writing exercise. For those listening, just so you know, we actually recorded this episode last Friday, but the powers that be (laughs) had a different plan for us. The Skype did not record my microphone for some reason for the first time ever, like the second time ever, and we just needed to re-record it. So in between those sessions, I asked you to write to your intuition about this sharing because this was something that you hadn't shared publicly and you were kind of still finding your way of how you felt about it. So would you mind sharing what that intuition writing experience was? For those listening, I've shared this writing exercise, writing a letter to your intuition, and I'll put links in the show notes to do it, but you've done it. And I'd love to hear what your experience is like. Sure. Well, the first question that you suggested asking, because I really didn't know where to start, was why am I so scared to talk about my hair loss and the related struggles? And the answer, at least, that I felt like I heard was because being vulnerable is scary. It's scary imagining what people will think. And once it's out there, I can't take it back. Do you have your letter in front of you? Yeah, I am reading it. <laughs> Ooh, can you read us the letter? Yeah. And so then I said, why is being vulnerable scary? I said, because it opens up my insides to the outside, which is a scary, ugly, cruel place sometimes. And I'm afraid of looking stupid or getting hurt. And then I said, why are you afraid of getting hurt? And I said, because I've been hurt before and it can tear you apart, it's safer on this other side. And then I said, what do you think people will think about your story? And I said, I think they might find it surprising and human and sad. And I think some people that are going through or have gone through something similar will hopefully find some comfort and solace in it. And the last question was, how do you feel about sharing something so personal with so many people? And I said, I feel nervous and I feel a sense of freedom, maybe even some sense of responsibility, but mostly scared. And how did you feel after you wrote the letter? I felt peace with it. I think though the first time we spoke, I kind of spilled my beans. And then immediately after we got off the phone, I text you and I emailed you that I didn't want to do it. (laughs) I said, I don't think I want to do this. I don't think I want people to know about something that I'm struggling with because it's just... 
I think prior to this whole thing, I've just been the person who's like, I'm so easygoing. I'm so spontaneous, so confident, so funny and outgoing. And then this made me this extremely self-aware, almost like inwardly private person. And I don't know if I was ready to share that with people, but it was, I feel like this exercise kind of helped me talk through the things that were holding me back. I am so grateful that you are sharing this. And I'm so excited that you've shared your letter with everyone. What did it feel like just for those who might be thinking, now I want to write the letter? Because usually people resist the idea of writing to their intuition for many reasons, usually ego driven, because the ego wants to keep them from tapping into that peaceful place within themselves. Once they hear someone's letter, then they're like, all right, I want to get that for myself in my situation. I want that wisdom within myself. Could you give them any tips or share your experience of what hearing from your intuition felt like so that people that are going to give that a shot might have a better idea of when they're hearing from their intuition and when their ego's maybe just talking? Yeah, definitely get to a quiet place if you can. I think it was really helpful for me to write the question, step back in a way, close your eyes and take a deep breath. And you kind of suggested waiting for an answer. I don't know if I'm that great at the whole patience end of it. Should I wait a day? Should I wait an hour? Like I only waited a few breaths. That's what I would say too. That's so funny you say that. Someone emailed me today asking me the same thing. Like, when do I hear back? I'm like, usually in a few moments, like not very long. As I've done this a long time, so I'm not saying this is everyone's experience, I will get the answer as I'm writing the question. And then I just finish writing the question and then write the answer and then have the next question ready. Yeah, I think that's the beautiful, powerful, wonderful thing is that our intuition knows already. It's just that we're afraid to ask. And then once we ask, then we're giving it permission to come out and like say what it is. And it was really powerful for me to read back over it. It was super interesting and helpful for me to know where my heart and mind were with the sharing portion of this. This is getting me so excited. I've gotten now, and again, this is years of doing this. And at first I would only do it when there's like a crisis. (laughs) So it would get to that frustration level I couldn't avoid anymore. And many people get to the letter from a crisis situation where they just can't stand the suffering they're going through, not having the answer. And they finally give up all resistance and they give it a shot. And then they try it again, like three months later when they have another crisis. And they're like, oh yeah, there's that thing I can do. Now I'm personally at a place. And this has taken a long time to get there where for me, it's after I meditate, I pull out my gratitude journal, I write in it, and then I pull out the journal and I just write on kind of like you said, anything I've scanned and found coming up in my life. And if nothing's coming up to write about and ask my intuition for guidance on, then I'll just kind of write more journal style. But it's so helpful to just kind of keep, it doesn't have to be a crisis. You can keep an ongoing account. And the really cool thing is, as you go, you can write on every subject imaginable, but you can even reflect back on those letters later and see how your intuition, in some cases, has even like not predicted the future, but shown you what was true at a moment your consciousness didn't accept it to be true. And then later life plays out. And then you're like, oh my God, like that was so true. That's totally happened to me in dating. And I'd be like writing about this guy. And I'm like, why is this upsetting me? Or what's what's going on here? And my intuition would like lay down some wisdom. And I would like categorically reject it and say, no, that's not true. And then later, weeks later, I'd be like looking back on that letter. I was like, oh my God, like I need to trust this more because this has so much more wisdom than I in the moment am often even willing to accept. And then sometimes, like you said, re-scanning. I think there's so much power I've learned in rereading the letter after I've written it, even though you've just written it. Reread it because when you reread and you see the 
the processing and the point A to the point B that you end up, it is so powerful in its own way that's even kind of different than writing the letter in the first place. And I would agree too that not waiting for the crisis to happen to do this, I I can see this as such a great, like you mentioned, post-meditation activity. Or like another example that I just thought of was I've been on the hunt for some new boots for about a year and I just finally found some this weekend and immediately after I bought them, I felt like buyer's remorse. And I feel like if I would have wrote down, why are you feeling like that? Or is it because you don't like the shoes or is it because you felt bad about the money you spent or is it because they aren't the right fit? I don't know. I just, instead, I just was stewing over it all afternoon. Like, should I take them back? Should I keep them? Should I take them back? (laughs) Like that's a small example of something like just check in with yourself. It could be as something as simple as when you're considering buying something or you're considering doing something or there's just something kind of lulling in the back of your mind. It's a great way to check in and see how you are actually sitting with it. Yes. And I love that you're meditating as you're starting to bring this intuition practice into your life because most people will tell me that they try the exercise and if they don't have success with it, they're like, what do I do? I don't think I heard anything. And in that case, my number one default recommendation is meditation simply because it helps you notice and detach from the ego thoughts. So then once you're more detached from them and you can just see them and start to see what they feel and sound like coming from the ego, then when you hear the intuition, you're better at recognizing the difference between the voices. Does that make sense? Agreed. I almost feel like, because I would maybe peg myself as a bit more of a skeptic when it comes to things like this. For instance, when I first tried doing yoga, I was like, I'll do yoga, but I'm not going to say namaste. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) It's almost like going and getting a massage, but for your mind. It's like so relaxing. Obviously, you get your body worked in a massage. It's like working out your mind. And you're just going through and like pinpointing areas of stress or tension It's been so relaxing. And now like actually one of the ones you suggested, Insight Timer. I think three months ago, if I would have listened to this guy guide me through it, I would have been like, this guy's weird. But I was all about it. I was like, yes, speak to me all soft. And (laughs) it was a great way to start my day. And I just found that I was in a much better place after I did that. And I want to just to reiterate, sorry, we're going so deep into this, but this just just lights me up because this is, if I can help people, And you sharing this is so powerful, right? Because it's just, they hear me all the time. (laughs) But you just said you're a skeptic of this stuff and you're getting into it and you're finding the benefits of it. If we, talking about this, can help people to give it a shot, to be curious enough to try it out, then you can decide for yourself. When the ego shuts it down at the start, there's no chance for it to be positive in any way. So the other thing that skeptics have shared with me, actually I got an email today that was talking about someone who'd heard me talk about it, kept resisting it, finally gave it a shot and had huge, huge breakthroughs and decisions that she'd been putting off for years because she had not tapped into that voice. And another person who's in a mastermind for Life with Intention Online with me, she shared that she was afraid of what her intuition was going to tell her because she's a mother and runs a very successful, large company. And she was afraid that tapping into her intuition was going to tell her, this is quoting her, so this is not me (laughs) projecting this on anyone. She was worried about the intuition telling her she had to bake cookies all the time and she'd be with her kids and stop her business or something along those lines. It was going to be very against what she wanted to hear. So she didn't trust that her intuition was going to give her an answer she wanted. Therefore, she wouldn't try it. She finally did. And she felt you could just see the visceral, palpable shift in her energy because she checked in. Her intuition didn't tell her anything of the sort. It didn't tell her to stop being a mother or 
start her company. It, it gave her the information she needed. And she didn't trust that it would actually provide. And once she finally did it, she felt so much power and also faith and confidence to check in with that voice in the future. So to another person who shared with me against, again, to this idea of any skeptics that might be a little on the fence, something a lot of other people get stopped by is the idea that they kind of secretly think they know what the answer is going to be from their intuition, but they're not ready to take action on that. So they just keep shutting it out and numbing in other ways and distracting themselves from taking that chance and actually checking in. So one thing you can do to help get over the resistance too is to promise yourself you don't have to take immediate action on anything that you hear in that moment. So it takes the pressure off of you to say, all right, I'm going to check in and then it's going to tell me to quit my job or break up or do whatever. And then I'm, then I'm going to be stuck knowing this and I'm going to have to do it immediately. It doesn't mean that you have to act on it. It's just saying that you have the curiosity and faith and bravery, courage to see what's under the rock, if you will. And the cool thing is that voice that you hear, even though the ego is probably still going to have, you know, it's field day of nervousness. You're still nervous, Dana, as you shared this with me before we started. But you have that peace underlying the nervousness that, at least for me, has become so much stronger and more important as I've gotten used to taking action from that place. Do you have that sense of peace even though you have other emotions too right now? Yeah, I would say that the second we got off the interview the first time, the ego came in and was like, why would you tell people that? That's so weird. You're going to be so out there and naked and vulnerable. And that's scary. Like shut it down. (laughs) And I think now once I kind of wrote down the feelings that I was having, like you said, I just had this peace about it and I was still nervous. And I sure I'll, I'll probably still worry about it once we get off the phone, but it's, I'm in a much different place, even as, you know, as little as two days than I was two days ago. So your emotions right now, if you had to describe them for people listening, what would they be in this moment? I feel calm and I feel excited to share. And I would say I'm far less worried about what people will think because I think in reality, I think it will actually be very helpful to people. Because I think before it was my thoughts were very centered on me. How will this affect me? And I think it helped me look outward. How will this help other people? And I think that's became like a motivating factor for me. Yeah, instead of trying to isolate yourself like the ego tried to keep you away from your friends even early on, your intuition's far more interested in connection. Yeah, which is what we need. Yes, and that's what helps us overcome. So do you still have any nervousness? Is your ego still there? Not at the moment. I mean, sometimes I get nervous about interviews in general because I don't think I'm that great of a speaker, but I don't really feel nervous about it, at least not right now. So for those that are hearing, though, you're not completely 100% zen. You are able to have that and other emotions from the ego at the same time and still take action. Yes. That's what's so cool about this, because before, when you're just taking on the ego, you're basically acting out of fear instead of love, if you really want to boil it down to some really brass tacks here. And now you can act out of love while the fear still exists, and it's not about removing it entirely. It's just tapping into the bedrock that's so much stronger than that. Agreed. So I want to circle back now to the hair loss and to the tactical things, because there may be some people that are very curious on the path. Maybe they're experiencing something similar. What did you try tactically that has worked or not worked for you? And do you have any recommendations for anyone that might actually be dealing with that? Yeah, I would say based on everything that I've learned, your hair is a product of what was going on in your life two to three months ago. So, which was very true for me because a lot of the things that were going on happened a couple months earlier and they were 
not manifested until later. And so it's even a struggle for me today to think, oh, last week I ate something different or last week I was super stressed and that's why this week I'm having more hair loss. In general, that's not really how it works. If you were stressed out in January, your hair will probably start being affected in March. Try not to think of it as so cause and effect and look back and like just take stock of what was happening, whether you lost a bunch of weight or you got off of a medication or you did have a breakup or something very stressful chances are that that's kind of around the time or those are the circumstances that caused it. And then the things that I kind of did was I immediately went to my doctor and I got blood work done. And because I had been not eating any meat, I was low on iron, which I have been prone to. And I should have done more research about that. That was kind of my error. And I was also low on B12. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of it has to do with nutrition and making sure that your blood levels and vitamin levels are at the levels that they should be. And it can be hormones too, especially for women who are around childbearing age. Like there's just a lot going on, especially if you've gotten on or off of a medication, you know, obviously just talk to your doctor about that. But I think the things that have been most helpful for me is just trying to listen to my body about what it's actually craving that day or like what actually sounds good instead of trying to stick to some prescriptive diet that I thought was best for me before. And I think that that has led me to come to more of a balance of like some days, You know, I do eat 100% vegan, but sometimes I don't because that is not really what my body is telling me it needs that day. And stress has been the other one. I think that's probably, well, I'm not going to say cause and effect, but I do suspect that stress was a huge one for me last year because, as I said, I felt like I was just kind of paralyzed in fear last year. And when you have something happen that is stressful, like hair loss, the last thing you want to do is go into a spiral of fear and stress and anxiety because that only worsens the problem, which is hard because that's your natural reaction. I'm just like we've been talking, I would 100% suggest doing something like meditation or something relaxing to you that allows you to step back and really see the bigger picture and calm your thoughts so you're not spiraling out and just thinking this is the worst thing that's ever happened to you and nobody else understands and it's never going to fix itself. So obviously meditation and journaling and yoga are great practices for that. There's many other things that I'm sure you could try, but, you know, check in with yourself and check in with your your doctor, obviously, and kind of go from there. And I know you have an amazing app that I really want to make sure we touch on. Can you share about that? Sure. Another one of the things that I've been very conscious of, because there are a lot of ingredients and products that we put on our bodies, that we eat, that we clean our houses with, that are considered... I think the technical term is endocrine disruptors or hormone disruptors. And they can, especially in women, because our hormones are more sensitive, they can mess with our body's hormones, which then mess with our hair and uh, many other kind of functions. And so I learned a lot about that from Elisa Vitti's Woman Code and also Adina Gregor's Skin Cleanse book. But the app that I've been using is called Skin Deep, and it allows you to scan any product that you have in your house that has a barcode or that you're considering buying at the store. So I've been the weird person out like scanning concealer and scanning lipstick at Target, like what's in here? And is this toxic for my body? And I wouldn't say that 100% of the things you're looking for are registered in their database. But I would say 70 to 80% of the things that I've scanned, it does have a rating for and it rates it from one to 10. One being the safest and 10 being the most toxic. And if you have something in your house that say a hairspray or a foundation that you're putting on yourself 
every day for, you know, however, like day after day for years, there is a chance that it can start having some negative impacts on your health. And so if you can find safer alternatives, then why wouldn't you want to do that and put less stress on your body? And for everyone that's wondering what that actually looks like, what you're doing is taking a photo of the barcode on the back of the product at Target before you purchase, right? Exactly. Yes. Okay. So that's what you actually do, guys. Does it cost money? It's free. Oh, wow. Skin Deep is the app, right? Yes. And they also have a website. Let's say you have a foundation or you have a cleaning product and it doesn't have a barcode or it's not registered in their database. You can look at the ingredients on the label and type in any ingredient and they will come up with an explanation of what it is and a rating for how safe it is. It's also color coded. One to three is green, four to six is yellow, and eight to 10 is red. So it's very user friendly. And I have found it very helpful in choosing new beauty and um, health and cleaning products. Yeah, I think I'm actually going to try it myself. I've noticed that my skin's breaking out a little bit more, but I have changed my makeup at the same time that it's been happening. So maybe this will be a great way for me to check and see if it's maybe my eating or if it's actually my products. Sure. I've been kind of guilty of thinking, oh, it's always something on the outside. I do always recommend definitely monitor if you've changed your diet or you're stressing out or it's like that time of the month. But yeah, it's nice to feel like you can also evaluate the external factors and especially like for something like yours, like where you just changed your makeup, that might be part of the problem. I know. I'm not sure though. Maybe I've been stressed at the same time. I scanned my heat protectant when I used my straightener and it said it was an eight and I like threw it across the room like, oh no, (laughs) like it was poison or something. But I was able to find a natural alternative at Whole Foods. So that's great. So I feel like this whole episode's been doubts or resistance in your life. So before we wrap up, let's talk about the publishing story behind your new cookbook because I think it's very unusual the way that this book came to be. Sure. I remember we had a New Year's Eve party and it was like the ring in 2015 and we all went around the table and said, what are you doing this year? And I set out like, I'm going to make a cookbook this year, no matter what it takes. And so our original plan and what we stuck to was to self-publish a cookbook. And what that meant was I went through and did all the recipes. I spent six months developing, photographing and finalizing recipes. And then we sent it out to testers and we had our friend go through and design it and lay it out. And and then John and our other friend helped do all the copy editing. And basically we got to the point between, we started in January and around October, we launched a pre-sale. We were working with a printer that you can work with directly to print your cookbooks and then you figure out distribution. We hadn't even gotten a sample yet, but we went ahead and put up our pre-sale on Amazon to kind of start getting the word out about the book. And basically what happened was we got an email from Penguin. They were expressing interest in the book and we were a little excited, but also still a little weary and confused because we didn't think that a publisher would be interested in a book that was already basically finished. We ended up talking with them. I think our initial hesitations to work with the publisher were that we wanted to make a product that was 100% us. Like we didn't want to hand over any editorial opinion or direction to someone else. And also we felt like because our readers are so engaged and we're very fortunate to have a large audience that we were going to be the ones primarily selling the book. And so that was kind of why we were hesitant to go with the publisher. But Around the time that we launched the pre-sale, we started hearing from our audience who were living abroad, like in the UK and Australia and Canada, saying that, hey, you know, we can't access the book. It's only on Amazon.com USA. 
And so we kind of started panicking and thinking, oh man, we're going to have to figure out how to get it in all these other countries because otherwise people have to pay absorbent shipping fees. It kind of worked out at the perfect time where the publisher emailed us and said, hey, like, let us help you distribute this thing. And we came to a deal that we thought was beneficial for both of us. And essentially we made the book. It's still the same book. They've updated a couple of things such as the cover and like gone through and copy edited it. But they are the ones who are taking over distribution, which is great because it's now available in Amazon and pretty much every country where people uh, read our blog. And it's going to be available in bookstores and other shops too, which we probably wouldn't have been able to do on our own. I feel like this whole episode's been an ode to what's going on in terms of resistance in your life. (laughs) So I'm going to let you off the hook on that one. What would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? I think I'll answer that question in regards to having a personal struggle. I would say just take heart and know that so many other people are out there struggling with something. It it might not be the same thing that you're struggling with, but we're all going through something or have gone through something. And it's so important not to isolate and to reach out when you feel ready or even when you don't feel ready and make sure that you're still being heard and known among friends or family because it's so important to have other people, especially when you're down and you're struggling with something, because your mind is a powerful and dangerous and dark place if you kind of sit and isolate yourself and stew on something. I would just encourage people to reach out and kind of share their struggle with other people, because otherwise it can get kind of scary and dark. Dana, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing this and for being such a great voice for what we all can go through. And like you said, want to hide. Thank you for shining your light on what you're going through and sharing it with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jess. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Dana, thank you so much again. I know you're listening. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing this with us. If you'd like to send Dana a message, you can do so over on Instagram at Minimalist Baker. And you'll find me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter as always at Jess C as in check in with your intuition lively. For show notes for this episode, hop over to JessLively.com slash Dana Schultz 2. Before I share who's coming up next week on the show, let's talk with Home Chef member Katie Walsh about today's sponsor, HomeChef.com. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I am the Director of Development and Communications at National Runaway Safe Line. I live in Chicago. I am a writer on the side, much like yourself. And I have a book coming out this week called Happiness This Way, available on Amazon. And I can't cook at all, or I thought I couldn't cook before I started using Home Chef. How long have you been using Home Chef? I started using it in December as because I had gotten a gift certificate at an auction and I've been using it ever since. So for about four months. And it sounds like you got it just for a short period of time and decided to keep on with the service. Right. It's just so convenient. The box has all the ingredients in it and it's delivered right to my condo. Uh, we have a receiving area. So I just come home from work and it's right there. I don't have to think about what am I going to cook tonight and, uh, and all the ingredients. I don't have to go to the grocery store and figure out something. It, the decisions are already made. And do you pick out each items that you'd like to order each week or how does that work when it comes to what's actually showing up in your box? Every week, well, and I get so excited sometimes I schedule all of my meals like in one uh, swoop because they usually have, I guess, probably the next 
three or four weeks, what you can pick from. They have like 10 different meals that you can pick from. I often just do as many weeks in a plan as I can. And then I'm excited to figure out what am I receiving today. So I pick two different meals and each meal is two servings of the meal. But I have found that I can make easily four servings out of a meal, which is wonderful. So you're able to kind of batch select what you want ahead of time and you don't have to go in every single week. You can just kind of get almost a month's worth of meals picked out and then they just show up. Right. It's so convenient and there's a great variety. And I love that it makes me feel like one of the more complicated because they have these great recipe cards and it'll say, oh, this one's easy or this one is a little more expert level. And I made pot stickers, which I love. And uh, my friends were really impressed that I was able to do that. And I didn't think it was that hard, but they had made it one of the expert level recipes and I conquered it. So I was excited about that. How about the cost for something like this? For me, like living in Chicago, it's so much cheaper than buying all the ingredients at Whole Foods or even going out to a restaurant. I have, but last night I cooked a meal for four people, including myself, and people brought wine. And, you know, I think about it, it was like $20, which is like insane to me as far as cost. And so for anyone that wants to give this a shot and get a free meal for two with your first purchase, go over to homechef.com slash lively and enter the code lively at checkout. Again, if this is your first purchase, you're going to get a free meal for two. So this is like literally getting a free meal from the lively show. Simply go over to homechef.com backslash lively and enter the code lively at checkout. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Jess. And now for a sneak peek. Next Thursday on the show is season two's finale with the one, the only, Myleek Teal. Yes, I am sure there are people right now fist pumping in the air on their treadmills. There are people who are doing the dishes and may have just dropped the soap. There are probably people out there going, who the heck is Myleek? But for people that have heard her on season one, I am sure you are so excited, as much as I am probably, to have her back on the show. She is the Curlbox founder. She's dropping knowledge at mytaughtyou.com. And she is just one of my favorite people of all time that I've ever met. I cannot wait to share our conversation, but I'm gonna be honest. We haven't even recorded it yet, so I'm not exactly sure where our conversation's gonna go, but I just know having my leak on the show, it's gonna be a good one, and I cannot wait to share it with you. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today. Today. 